Welcome to The Eventful Entrepreneur. I'm Roger Woodall, founder of the Bournemouth Sevens, the world's largest sport and music festival. With all events in 2020 grinding to a halt, I'll be bringing people back together, but in a different way. In this episode, I'm talking to the man behind the massively successful Boardmasters Festival, Andrew Topham. The festival has grown from a small surfing competition to one of the biggest festivals in the UK, hosting 50,000 people in Newquay each year. Andrew has had a tough couple of years. In 2019, a storm put a stop to Boardmasters Festival 24 hours before the gates opened. In 2020, the festival was cancelled again due to COVID-19. It was great to hear about his positivity through turbulent times. He has a lot to say about getting involved in the exciting events industry and what type of person it takes to be successful. Here's the man himself, Mr. Andrew Topham. Andrew, hey buddy, how you doing, mate? Yeah, very good, Dodge. How's things? Yeah, very good, very good. Um, Are you all settled down after a uh, crazy summer? Yeah, we've just actually finished. um, We launched a new new glamping event this year um, and we finished that on Monday, so... It's a slightly chilled week after that. Was running for a month, which was a change yeah. for us. <laughs> Good for you, mate. Let's um, let's get cracking straight into it. Um, how did you uh, get into events all those years ago? And can you tell us why? Yeah, I mean, in short, because my brother, um, he, they, long story short, they're working for a sports marketing company. It went fast, and they came across the surf festival, um, and we bought it for a pound from a surf brand who was running it <laughs> activity. Really, and it just got, it kind of got, got too big for them. They, did, they didn't want it anymore. It was a headache. Um, it wasn't serving the right marketing purposes for them. At that point, it was just a free, free to watch surf event on Fistral Beach um, on the world tour, like um, amazing surfers coming through and the best of the best um, back in the 80s and early 90s. Um, and we took it over. I was still at uni um, and he asked me to help him out. Um, and that really was the start of a career in events, sort of without much planning, I wouldn't have said. Wow, wow, wow. And, we, uh, and what, what were you studying at university back then? A whole lot of nonsense. I was studying philosophy, cosmology, Spanish. <laughs> Love it. So, so we jumped straight into events straight after uni? Yeah, literally, um, I left. I, left, I, left, I finished third year. I, I got straight in the car, drove to London, got in the office worked on the first one. I'd already worked on a couple in the holidays. Um, he, he just needed an extra pair of hands. Um, and I actually just fell in love with it straight away, the sort of logistics, organisation, yeah. the kind of satisfaction of building something and then seeing that come to fruition. I just immediately kind of fell in love with it and ultimately being out of an office in the, you know, that time in the summer months was also super appealing and really nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what year, and what year did all this start then? The first one we did was in 99, the eclipse year when Cornwall was going to sink because they were convinced so many people were going to drive down there. <laughs> um, everyone kind of, it went nuts. The, yeah, we, I think we ran the Boardmasters under a different name of that year. It's called the Nuki Surface for that year. For two weeks, I think we ran it. Um, super fun, but really it was, it was just a surf event and a bar on Fistral Beach. And, and what year did you buy it for a pound and who cut that deal? Just before the 99 event. Um, I think it was in the, it was in the flux between ninety eight and ninety nine, um, and uh, my brother and business partner of him, of his Jeremy were they were they were signed up to sell the trade stands I think, um, and went and then the guys were just like we're sort of done with this. Do you want to take it off our hands? And, and what year did it? Do you really remember the year of saying right? We're going to turn this in from a 
a surfing surfing sort of event on the beach to actually saying right we actually could turn this into a, into a festival surf and, and music festival yeah so kind of i started running it pretty much straight after that and we did i ran it to stand office was a surf event for two, through up to 2004 and we're just looking around kind of we weren't getting the growth in this i guess the sporting aspect of board masters that we've seen in other sports events models and kind of looking around thinking you know we need this thing to make more money it was kind of and it was relatively a tiny event in a, in a commercial sense at that stage. And we was looking around, sort of looking for a business strategy that would see, it, see some proper growth. And we just looked at the festival piece and thought, you know, we need to add tickets to this event if we can, if we can justify a ticket price, um, which culturally we couldn't do with surfing um, and arguably still can't. Um, so we, we, we figured out that promoting, adding music and promoting and adding a ticket price um, would allow us to yeah to, to bring that ticket revenue into the event and we changed the business model um materially and so we just went for it um kind of knowing not that much about putting on a festival when you first started was it actually selling tickets on the beach for a party on the beach as you were growing the brand it, we, we did one we did one promoted gig i think if, if my memory serves me right um we, we had um, we have a tent on the beach and we did one beach session but for like, we're talking like for 800 people maybe um, yeah. in 2004, but it worked, it sold out. It just gave us a little bit of confidence that, you know, that there was an audience there that wanted to come and see and pay for, pay for music. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we went full bore and launched it um, for 2005. So Boardmasters was really born in 2005? As the festival we, we, yeah, we know today. What was the mindset of saying, right, we want to move the actual surfing, keep the surfing on the beach. Actually, we want to move the festival a mile away into its own uh, into its own festival arena. Just pr practically the space we needed. There was no way we could do that. Um, th there is a golf course right behind the beach, which was considered, but just was was never going to work. It's just you know it's just far too far in town. A lot of passionate golf members who would never have yeah. never allowed it to be closed for a month. Yeah. Um, and so we just looked for the nearest sites we could that had sort of unique views and um, we really wanted to kind of celebrate the Cornish coast as part of the you know part of, part of Wallmasters we didn't want to go too far inland um, and we've after knocking on a number of farmers doors um, with some pretty mixed reactions I have to say um, we stumbled across the Cowlings who just got us straight away yeah they just instantly were like hold on yeah jump in jump in my Land Rover I've got just the, I've just, just the feel for you drove us up to the site and was like, will this work? And got out of the car and you could see 20 miles up the coast towards Constantine. You're like, yeah, this will work. Well, it's got to be definitely one of the most stunning views of any festival worldwide, I'd say. Yeah, it is pretty It is pretty unique. We Over the years, we've had a few artists kind of, oh, everyone says they've got a good view and then they get them like, wow, okay, this is something. And what sort of numbers did you start off, if you remember, in 2005? Obviously, you've got to start somewhere of actually shipping people to a festival arena. Um, what sort of numbers did you start and how's it grown over the years? Um, we started at 5,000. Um, we were so lucky. We, we were so late doing everything because, we, as I say, we didn't really know what we were doing. I think we put it on sale in something like mid-May, given the event was in August. We had a razor light and um, James Blunt headlining. And James wow. Blunt just had that single that just sat at number one from literally our on-sale date to the event. Uh, and Razor Light also had done some massive gigs that year. I think they'd just come off playing to huge crowds in Hyde Park. And luckily, they kind of, they got us out of trouble. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, which was, with hindsight, super lucky because we were 
wet behind the ears. And if we'd, if we'd not got to that position, I don't know where we'd be today. You've got to remember, though, 15 years ago when you started, there wasn't very many festivals around the UK. No, I mean, back in those days, we were looking at... Um, a friend of ours ran um, Wakestock, yeah. which is sort of combining kind of the wakeboarding, board sports culture with music. And we thought that was really cool. Um, NAS, which we, we went on to buy, was another one that was in our sort of slightly hybrid space of combining these action sports and music. Um, so they were probably the, the influences. Obviously, obviously the major music festivals, but they felt actually so detached from where we were because at that point we were a surf event kind of bringing music to an event. So you're, grow you're growing it from 2005 to 2020. At what period did you find the, the most pressure for you as a business when you're growing a business like that, especially it all being the unknown? I had two massively different phases. The first bit was just so hard because everything was difficult. We had no money. We were making no money. And every year just felt like you're on the breadline. You're trying to do everything right, trying to make sure the event's safe and produced well and a good experience for the punters, the, the artists, the sponsors, etc. Yet it's all just on the breadline. And you sort of believe you're making progress, but the progress was small through kind of from 2005 to 2010 or 11. It, yeah. was, it was just hard work, like yeah. really hard. And you, and you sort of do the whole year and you, and you kind of, you know, those final few weeks of tickets can make the difference between profitability or not. Yeah. And suddenly, you'd have, you know, suddenly the weather would be, it would, wouldn't be great or, um, yeah, you just wouldn't quite get there, and it just that that was really tough. But then, then we then we then we started to experience huge growth. Um, so suddenly, financially, it was a bit easier, and it was a, it was a much more stable business. And we could invest in it, but that just unfolded a whole new set of challenges when we were massively growing the festival. We took it from twenty to thirty to forty to fifty thousand. Yeah. Um, so logistically, every year is just a huge challenge to step up and make sure we got that right yeah. um, and you're constantly replanning everything because yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of shows kind of often sit at a sort of at a plateaued level where they do the same thing every year and that probably would have been easier what was the what was how did you actually feel of the the most amount of pressure you're you're trying to build a brand so 2005 to 2011 2011 it sounds like you kind of broke the back of it financially to actually come into some profit what, what, how did you feel in the lead up to it? Did you ever feel like walking away from it? I don't know if your sort of memory erases those bad points. I'm sure I did because there were some pretty difficult moments, but also just loved it. Absolutely loved it. Kind of turning up in UK every summer to sort of, have, you know, having worked on it in the office to produce the event was just, just a highlight of the year. Yeah. Um, could never, you know, always couldn't, couldn't wait to get down there and never wanted to leave. It's an amazing place to go and, you know, have the culmination of your business year. So no, I sort of, I don't, I don't remember ever wanting to walk away. I remember some pretty hard and frustrating and scary moments, but none that got us close enough to think about walking away. Did the financial pressures get on top at all at any point? I mean, that, that, that journey's, yeah, that journey's nuts because when yeah. we were in the 20s, the whole thing was just pure fun. Yeah. We were running this event, we're charging around. I remember it well. And some, sometimes they're the best days when you look back, aren't they? Yeah, probably parties yeah. and all the rest yeah. of it. Yeah, you know, somewhere. <laughs> Somewhere in there, it turned into you know a really proper business, um, yeah. and you know it became very serious, very hard work for three weeks of the summer. And in the, in the early days, it wasn't that. Um, so that kind of did change a lot. Um, but actually, weirdly, financially, on it wasn't. It was when we launched a new show in London. We launched something called the um, called Freeze, which was a snowboarding 
a, a big area of freestyle skiing and snowboarding. So we've built um, a full size um, jump, which is sort of, you know, the, the run in was three, four stories high. It's a 30 meter tabletop. We produced 300 tons of snow in Bassey Power Station. Um, and the thing was kind of, it was an amazing event. And it just, that one was the one that kind of really put us, put us close to the brink financially. Um, I think at one point we had our houses up as collateral um, and luckily got a deal away, which sort of salvaged, you know, salvaged it. But that one probably was the one that chalk up understanding what it's made to make massive losses very quickly and have yeah. to walk away from it. You know, we had, we had no choice, but it's just to, to can it. Yeah, it was, you know, I love that event. It was, you know, we got it to 20,000 people in three years. It was sort of, it was it, so many parts of it were brilliant. Unfortunately, outdoor events in, November in England. <laughs> just, just, just explain to me what actually that event entailed. Was it people would buy tickets? You would have um, surf, um, snowboards, etc., doing tricks. Did you have bar there? What was the revenue streams to make that work? Kind of, kind of the same model that you'd see on Boardmasters, where you've got sport and music mixing. So we had full main stage. I think we launched with Cypress Hill and others. We had the streets do their last live. I think our last year of freeze was their last live live performance they did. Numerous others. We had a massive big top, which was our main stage. Loads of other smaller apres ski bars, and then the big um, the big tabletop with the skiers and snowboarders all competing. But you know, it's the best in the world coming over. It was, it was a World Cup of snowboarding and a kind of international um, skiing big air, um, and just obviously no camping. Central London, the Bassey Power Station. Yeah. So you just kind of replicating that apres ski vibe. Um, yeah. People came in music bars um and watching the snowboarding skiing and what year did you launch that it was eight nine ten i think or nine ten eleven wow mate that is serious pressure so you're you're, you're juggling boardmasters growing that and at the same time you jumped on thinking let's do another sport and music event in london in the sort of winter period exactly and we'd also taken on we'd, we'd we bought nas in 2008 i think any memory serves um <laughs> suddenly we went from running one to running three um but that actually helped us broaden the team a bit helped us have enough scale um to bring more kind of sort of resource in-house um which for us was sort of where we wanted to take it yeah and what lessons if you look back at those times because it was all the unknown for all of us we're all we all jumped in with two feet creating festivals if you look back at those times and thought you 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 had board masters 50,000 people it is today. You had, you got NAS Festival, which is 30,000 people today. And then you had your Freeze Festival, um, which lasted for three years. Is that correct? Yeah. I'm trying to think exactly. It was, it was up in the Olympic year. Um, so the last one was 2012. And so, so all of that pressure, all thrown on, all thrown on top. What was the year that you really honed in on Boardmasters? Say, we've really got something here. Let's put all our energy into Boardmasters and let's really crank this up another notch. That was 2013 when we added, kind of we're in the depths of that, of the um, sort of financial crisis and the aftermath. And everyone, there was a lot of nervousness in sort of business environment. And yet, Boardmaster, because you quite often see a sort of bump in domestic tourism, um, yeah. Cornwall often benefits from that. The Boardmaster was actually doing all right in eight, nine, 10, 11. Um, and then we realized that if we added a third day, it would kind of transform it from this kind of very local event um, with just a two day format. We weren't camping at that point it was only it was only day tickets yeah. and we made the jump we added the, the, the third day we added the sunday ben howard headlined and i think we added camping that same year and that really was the kind of tipping point for the show it became 
I guess it became a sort of, you could say, a proper festival. Also, with it being three days long and then you could camp, it allowed, it allowed a, a, a bigger audience to travel to the event, which really kind of set it on between 13 and 18 is when we went from 20 to 50,000. I saw it explode hugely, it sort of like 2016, I think, in my mind. I, I had in my mind 2016, 2015, I saw it explode. Yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been super fun. It's been rollercoaster, but it's been fun. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. So when you look back at the business model, when was it when you said, right, we need to we need to really take our acts and artists up to a whole new level? What year was that? We, we were, with, with that show, we were always trying to do that. So every year we were trying to push the um, and scale the talent. We were trying to push the budget down. Trying to, but back again, back in the early days, it, for all the world in the world, you couldn't get the bigger acts. Yeah. So wouldn't come and play a festival they didn't know. Yeah. Um, you know, when management agents, you know, you just didn't have that reputation yet. Yeah. So sort of, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was steadily proving ourselves, putting on good years, getting good feedback, you know, people having the artists and their teams having good experiences and slowly every year just edging that up. Yeah. Um, and then probably the sort of some of the bigger artists we put on um, with the bigger jumps. Um, obviously we had unfortunately two cancellations back to back, but we had Florence and Kings of Leon amongst others set to play and how much how much will someone like Florence or Kings of Leon be these days that's going to leave that as a lot is it is it north of 500 it's it's in and around that market depends what you're booking them for how big the festival is what the ticket price is yeah. um, you know so many variables what would you say is the biggest ball lake of dealing with artists and agents the booking process is difficult there was a lot of festivals now internationally the routings are complicated you know trying to get acts uh, over the line it's really challenging um for the you know for the right money that can work for your show that can you know actually work within the business all of that is just a it's probably one of the most challenging parts of the festival yeah. now every year without a doubt is that yeah. booking process and is that because they're uh, because there's so many festivals saying we've booked florence the machine or or whoever it may be kings of leon they're our show and they're essentially blocking them from them playing at other shows yeah, the exclusivity thing is a problem. Um, it definitely is a problem. It's not, it's difficult. Yeah, especially when there aren't that many acts out and the, you know, the acts that fit certain size shows, uh, it's not that big a pool. There are many acts for us <clears throat> that are still too big. We couldn't get them. Um, and, and then, you know, many that are just not, they're not quite big enough to headline a show of that size. So, you know. And do you find there's more pressure on you each year to get bigger and better acts to attract people to come back again the following year? Does that put a lot of pressure on you? So yes and no, I think there's a natural desire to want to do that, but also the experience of the festival is so important and there's so much, so much more to the boardmasters than just the music headlines. You know, it's a, it's a culmination of surfing music, culture, um, you know, sat on the clifftops, you can leave the festival site, you can go and enjoy the beaches of Fistral and Watergate, you can go into Newquay Town Centre and yeah. go, to the, go to our, you know, our series of nightclub nights. There's, yeah. there's tons and tons to it. Um, beyond the, you know just those the big acts you see on the poster i mean i think it's i think that wider experience is you know is also super important for our customers yeah yeah when you invited you invited me down in 2018 i thought the experience was magnificent really was you put on a really good show oh thanks man yeah, yeah. It's, it's, in like every, like every organizer we work at it super hard you know every year we're pretty tough on ourselves we critique everything and we try and look for how we make it better yeah. And, um, you know, like, like ever, you don't get it all right. You make mistakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what would you say when you look back at the whole of the period of Boardmasters is, is the moment that you thought it was your biggest high? 
Was there a year you went, yeah, this is this is the one? There, there were probably there were two really distinct moments. I remember, um, or three perhaps, getting getting the doors open in two thousand and five. We we hadn't we'd underestimated the fact you needed a site crew. So me and my um, <laughs> me and my event, event manager, who was, was a good buddy, literally were the site crew. So we were sort of on the radio trying to coordinate everything and doing all the kind of basic site work. Now it was relatively small because it was yeah. five thousand people, in a, you know, in the field. Um, yeah. So the relief to sort of see the doors open and get people in was just was a massive moment. And then probably we had a year when we I think we were forecasting just to break even. And it got to like about five days before the festival and suddenly we were still selling tickets, you know, really fast. And it's just suddenly kind of suddenly dawned on us that we, we were going to, we were going to really go through that target. We were going to smash it after so many years of that being the absolute opposite. Um, that was just such a relief. Double checking the figures. I was like, this can't be right. What a buzz that is. Yeah. We're going to career through this. And that was, that was, it, that just felt like the sort of hard graph paying off. Yeah, yeah, good for you. And then probably the final one was um, all J headlining um, the last time we did the show and we sold out 50,000 just to get up to that sort of number and sold the show out was just, yeah, it was just hugely satisfying. Um, yeah. And see it running and yeah, that was a big, that was a big moment. That's, that's a huge amount of people at a festival, 50,000 people. Massive hats off to you. Yeah, it is, it is a lot. And with the Boardmasters, you've then got, you've then got a, um, another 20, 30, 40,000 people living in town. The beach site's actually doing more than that. So the logistics of a show uh, are more complex than a normal 50 cap show because we've got, you know, Nuki is also full, full to the brim. We've got a load of people traveling from around Cornwall and further afield to come up to Fistral. That's turning over. Um, you know, the beach down there can get up to 20,000 people a day. You've had some serious highs there. So let's move, let's move on to uh, one of the lowest points for you. Tell me about 2019 when it was all over Sky News and... Uh, ITV news and everything. I'd love to hear that story. Instead of taking to the stage, they are taking it down. The Boardmasters Festival over before it began. The wind that rolls in off the Atlantic predicted to reach storm force. And in this exposed location, the decision to cancel and keep people safe was, say organizers, simple. For the tens of thousands who'd spent their money and planned this trip for months, the last minute cancellation was disappointing. That was, um. It's just a really difficult, really unfortunate set of events. Um, I mean, in short, you know, our, our management safety teams, like always, are monitoring weather forecasts and everything else that can affect the kind of safety of the show. And I, I can't remember, I actually can't remember the name of the storm now. And one of the name storms has appeared on the radar and it just became very apparent that it was, it, we were just monitoring it for three or four days. And in each day past, the kind of, probability we're getting from the Met um, and our other um, forecasting services was just going up and up. Um, they were like, it is definitely going to hit you. Um, wow. Definitely going to bring winds kind of in the sort of 60 plus uh, miles an hour. Um, and of course, we're pushing them on the parameters of that. You don't want to make a decision and then have it turn out beautifully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> weather forecast, weather forecast is kind of yeah. like, you know, how sure are you? Like you yeah. telling, you're really telling us that we need to, you know, we need to make this preemptive call um, in order to ensure the safety of the, you know, everyone involved in the event, from customers to artists. And as it trans, as it as it unfolded, we felt we had no option. Um, and you know, I, I guess I guess I look at it slightly weirdly. Fortunately for us, the weather did come through. It would have been it would have been horrendous if there had been wrong and the weather hadn't come through. But I think we clocked sixty four miles an hour on site 
we managed to de-rig everything um, or, or almost everything. But one of the structures we had up there um, was a, uh, you'll know, dodge it sort of event talk, but a hard walled marquee, like a, a, yeah. a you know, a heavy um, clear span marquee and it just got decimated. It was just right. torn apart. Wow. Um, it was built out of twigs. Um, and so, you know, it was the right call. We did the right thing. We put the customers, the staff, the sponsors, the artists, everybody, everybody safety first, which, you know, obviously is morally and the absolute thing to do. And I, you know, I sleep well at night because of that. So yes, it was a massive blow, but we did the right thing. It was hard then to kind of, you know, get all the questions in the press about it, but, um, you know, so be it. So, you, so, so just, just explain, how many days before you opened the doors did you have to have to pull the plug on it to say it's cancelled due to bad weather? The night before. Um, it was wow. Tuesday night. We opened on Wednesday morning. We would have had um, first customers arriving at, you know, from 6am. Oh, my God. We literally, the, the, the team had literally just put the last kind of flag up and sort of walked back on site. Like, I'm really sorry. You guys need to start taking that back down. Um, and that was, it was almost seeing the impact on the team was one of the hardest things. Like everyone had worked so hard. The site looked the best it ever looked. It was just sort of immaculate. The sort of the decor and the finishing was just absolutely nailed. And yeah, to sort of tell the team to do all that work and then turn around and start de-rigging it without the satisfaction of seeing it run was, was brutal. It was really, really hard. Yeah. So, so when did you get the tug? Did, did, who, who phoned and said, listen, we need to have a chat. When was that? And how did you feel at that time? Uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was kind of led by us. Um, we have, because of the scale of the show, we have a really senior um, operations team um, who are running that, that, um, that team stands up before the show goes live. Um, so our safety team are on site, our major incident response team are on site, um, and we're liaising with local authority. Um, and, and obviously, you know, we've been doing this down there for 20 years, so our relationships with local authority are really good. And we'll know each other well, and there's a lot of trust there. And so we talk, you know, we were always uh, liaising and talking about the logistics very openly, um, as you'd expect. And as we saw the weather coming in, we we're letting them know that. And just, you know, we're letting our ELT or safety advisory group team know that and going, look, you know, we do have this weather system we're monitoring. There's, there is risk out there, and we'll continue to update. So everyone was very kind of aligned on it. Um, and we just... We're going through. I, see the, it, I remember seeing it all unfold. I just couldn't believe my eyes. Genuinely gutted for you. I think I dropped your text. We because of the nature of our event, because you're going to arrive on the Wednesday, but the storm wasn't hitting until Friday night um, into Saturday. It probably looked like an odd decision to someone who's not an event organizer because what we needed to stop happening was getting um, the fifty thousand audience on site yeah. and then letting the storm hit. Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't unsafe on site until Friday night. So you could, you could have, we could have got them there, but that would have caused logistical um, nightmares. You know, we'd have got them all there, we'd have to try and get them off. We went, we worked through that with the road systems, the train systems, the bus systems, yeah. the parental drop-offs. We realized that knowing there was a storm going to hit, that, that serenity, we had, we had to call it early. Um, but of course, in the, in the moment of doing that, probably, it's not it's not that obvious to see all the the work through that we're done to understand yeah. this is the the best and anything to do what problems did you arose after that with people wanting refunds and 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 what happened with the act did they get 100% paid up front yeah um we the show is the show is fully insured so we refunded everyone it's just again everyone's like the kind of natural reaction is oh I'll just give me a refund tomorrow yeah. but you've got something like uh 
something like 150,000 different transactions. Yeah. Because every time somebody buys a ticket, and through multiple different retailers, so our tickets yeah. are sold through a number of different agents. So it's not as simple as, it's not like, oh, 50,000 tickets given back, and all through different retailers who all got their own T's and C's, because legally they're the people who have sold that ticket to the consumer. You've got to go back and set up a lot of logistics with them. You've got to check they've all got the funds in place, you know, for the, to, to match the amount of tickets they've sold and et cetera, et cetera, and make mm-hmm. sure that any additional things people have bought um, uh, and all that detail. So it's just sort of, it just takes time. And obviously people are gutted the show's not on and understandably want their money back as soon as possible. So you've just got that kind of pressure you've got to work through um, to do it, you know, to get, get it back as efficiently as you can. And what about the acts? Did they obviously acts pre to what's going on with Live Nation at the moment, which we'll go into in a minute? The acts normally get paid fifty percent when you book, and fifty percent maybe a month before they actually come and perform. Did they keep their hundred percent? They did, yeah. Wow. Um, wow, wow, wow. That's the way it was. That's the way it was set up with us, and the way it was set up with our insurance and and their contracting process. And what are your thoughts on on Live Nation bringing sort of new rules, their sort of rules, to say? They want to pay 10% up front when they book the acts now and pay 90% post-festival. Um, they want to reduce the fee by 20% for the artists. And if the artists don't show, they want the artists to pay twice their fee back to the festival. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's all it's all pretty complicated stuff. Ultimately, it's good for the promoters. Um, there are aspects. It's a difficult thing. The the artists can pull out the eleventh hour of a show, leaving a show in the lurch um, without much recourse. Um, that's a pretty difficult thing, and a pretty strange business relationship where you know something's you know said a festival's committed to an artist for twelve months, and you know three weeks out they decide they they can't or won't or don't want to play, um, and can just pull out. So I think anything that protects a promoter in that space is really good. Um, Obviously, I think we're just going into a difficult economic time. So, a sort of a sensible, a sensible resetting of artist pricing and in terms of payment plans. Well, there's there's some logic in that. You know, normally when you when you sort of provide a service, whether you're an artist or whether you're the staging company, there's this is a deposit period. There's then doing the job, which for them is performing, and then you know getting your fees when that's done. Yeah. Um. But like anything, it becomes down to a negotiation between different organisations and it's wildly different if you're a live nation to whether you're me, age 20, whatever, to starting a festival and trying yeah. to, you know, at that point, you, you don't really have much negotiation. Um, and we dealt with artists on any terms they gave us, frankly. And that's probably like any business, you know. You do, you, you, as the business grows and strengthens and changes how it inter- interacts with its suppliers, Customers, everything. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just, just, just going back over the years, name some of the some of the big acts you've had at the festival. Probably Ed, Ed Sheeran headlined back in, I think it was twenty twelve, um, and it was his, I believe, no, I'm sure it was his first head, head, uh, festival headline. Possibly gone on to bigger and bigger and bigger things. Um, we have had Florence. Um, Kings of Leon booked but never played, tragedy. Um, Chasing Status, Rudimental, um, Streets, Cypress Hill right back in the day, Snoop. I mean, yeah, Faithless, Bastille, Vaccines. Wow. The list goes on. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. I remember. 
Is there one that stands out when you stand at the back of the stage when they perform and you're looking out to 50,000 people in front of that main stage? Is there one performance that sticks in the mind? Kind of some for different reasons. I mean, like, personally, I love Paul J and Ben Howard. So watching those sets was, you know, personally for me, really enjoyable. And then other moments, sort of Snoop in Cornwall was just a funny moment. <laughs> you can't put those two together, really, can you? Snoop in Cornwall. <laughs> Yeah, and then a lot of the smaller, you know, smaller moments around the festival are, are amazing as well. Sort of stuff that's not, you don't see promoted so much, but yeah. it's very cool. So obviously we we had 2019, which was obviously had to cancel the day before. We moved into 2020. We won't mention the C words because I don't want to mention that. But have you had a have you had a pivot moment at all where you've you've had to look at business and say, right, I need to look at a new business here, on top of what you've got. Yeah, we um like most of the promoters, we realised earlier in the year that you know the festival festivals weren't going to happen, and we cancelled them. Um, and then we launched a um a family glamping um product called Cloud Cloud Nine, um which we just finished running. We we turned it around pretty quickly. I think we decided in sort of May June to do it, and we were on third and live by um start of August. And that's been really, it's been really nice to do something positive in this year and produce something new, start a new business stream, um, get the team out working, you know, get, get people on site, obviously in a safe and socially distanced manner, but just, yeah, lovely to sort of have that positivity of actually doing something, producing something, seeing kind of our work come to fulfillment. Um, it was really nice. And what, what would you, what advice would you give someone looking to get into the events industry, whether they're a student who finished university or whether they're thinking of going to university before and not wanting to do an events degree or someone who's in an industry at the moment, lost their job, but wants to get into the event, events industry. What advice would you give them? Experience goes an awfully long way. So just getting in there, like transitioning, getting in with the teams, working on site one year, you know, building relationships with the, the core teams, often the core teams sitting in the office like yours is smaller than, you know, you'll have huge growth for that um, on site team. And so if you're struggling to get into it, initially into the office roles, um, I think a great way in is to get yourself on site, show that you can adapt and handle the dynamic environment of producing live events and then build a relationship with teams. So many people we work with and continue to work with have come into Vision 9 that way. They've, they've taken a role at NAS or Boardmasters and then come back each year. We've known them and then we've kind of, you know, stepped up to a sort of freelance contract in the office and said, can you come in and, you know, actually do the do that real busy prep period of three months four months and etc cetera, etc cetera. um i think with qualifications that's a great way to kind of translate and get those you know get that practical experience mm. so so essentially it doesn't really matter whether you've got a degree or not you're looking for someone who is passionate got a great attitude what are what else do you look for in that person when employing a different i guess different departments that produce a festival have different skills but everybody needs to be super organized. It is a detail game. You know, you're building a, you know, you're building a city that's going to operate for three days. Yeah. So everything you've got, no different types, different styles of business are much more passive. You've got 12 months, they just trade or they trade perpetually. And so you just tweak and refine. Festivals are very fast that, you know, they're exciting because of that. They're risky because of that, but they all can be also rewarding because of it. Um, and this whole thing culminates in a, you know, normally a, a few week build, then you fill the city with 50,000 people in Arkham. <laughs> then you run it and then you, you know, then you take the thing down in, in a crazy short window. Um, so you've got to be organised. You've got to be able to handle the pressure that comes with that, that the hard work. It's a, it's a worker's environment. You've got to love the craft. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And you've got to have the right attitude. You know, ultimately, you've got it's teamwork. Mm-hmm. You know, we're nothing without the team of people to the last person that, you know, maybe the volunteer, the runner, you yeah. know, um, that person's as important as I am, frankly. Um, yeah. Without, you know, the single person, you know, lets down the whole team, the whole thing falls apart. Yeah. So once someone gets their foot in the door, they can grow up through through your business. Yeah, many have. And we have, um, I know you've launched your course, which is brilliant, because actually in the early days, there weren't many, when I started doing this, when I was at university, there definitely weren't um, event management courses that would be relevant to coming into the live space at all. Well, we've we've been working, our pivot really, since since Bournemouth 7s had to get cancelled due to uh, COVID, was um, we have built and are building at the moment a online dynamic events course, which is a really exciting space to be in at the moment. Essentially, we're going to teach people everything they need to know from start to finish within three months. Amazing. And what to do? What age groups? Do you have to be a certain age, or it can be anyone. It can be anyone. It can anyone from if if you're 18 thinking about going into events or just finished your university degree and you need a step up, you can't get into the events world because you don't know anyone. Everyone's got degrees these days. Actually, if they come and did our course, you're going to learn everything you need to know from start to finish, from creating a brand, from the idea to planning, to digital marketing, to sales, to actually putting on the event, whether it's a small event, medium event, or a big event. And um, yeah. yeah, that sounds amazing. I think when you talk about that differentiation, somebody turning up with that qualification, that's the right attitude, you know, that, that, that's the differentiator that's going to get you in the door. Absolutely. And and it, it, once someone's got that uh, certificates from us, for us to open up the doors, there's no one we don't know in the UK, in the events world or festival world or sporting world to open a door and say, hey, this girl or guy has been on the course. They're absolutely amazing. Can they come in for an interview? And essentially, I feel like the industry is missing that. Yeah, definitely. It is. As I say, like, in, you know, back in my day, there just weren't any courses at all. Um, and I don't, I'm not, to be honest, I'm not that up on the university space, but um, we don't have that many people who work for us who've done any um, formal course in that space. Yeah. And yeah. we tend to go on and put them into very specialist stuff, whether that's health and safety and knee stuff, et cetera. Absolutely. We're not actually learning that, as you say, full spectrum of their management course, which gives a foundation yeah. and probably would help somebody understand which aspect. You know, we, people say, I want to be in events, but whether you're in the sales teams, you know, working with brands and sponsors versus the production team, they're wildly different jobs. Yeah. And we have very different skill sets. So I think actually doing that course would help people understand which aspect of the events industry they, you know, which, where they might want to specialize. Yeah, absolutely. And we're bringing in the best people, the, the best events icons from around the UK and around the world into the course to give lectures all online. You know, so there's nothing they will not know after that three month course. And we kind of look at it and say, well, the university business model is fantastic because you get a great experience, but we're teaching more in three months and you will learn in a three year events management degree in a fraction of the price and a fraction of the time. Yeah, that's, and that, what, how do the hours look? How does it, what would it be like? Yeah, if, if you, you could do it, you could take it for a long, short as long as you want. The, the quickest you can do it is in three months. And you could take six months, nine months, 12 months, all depends. All depends how hungry you are to get into the events industry. And what else you're doing? So if you've got a, say you've got a full-time job, but you want to learn this, you could do this as a night course, you know, and maybe do it over six months a bit steadier. Where Absolutely. Where you perhaps and have got the time, you could blitz it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and you've got your own tutor and you have access to myself and our wonderful team here as well, covering every aspect of events. I'm wondering if I should do it. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Might give you a freebie. <laughs> Andrew, Ben, it's an absolute pleasure having you on, buddy. Uh, I'd love to get you on again uh, in the future on the on our podcast. And uh, I wish you all the best. And uh, I look forward to having a uh, cheeky pint with you soon.
Likewise, mate. Likewise. Lovely. Cheers, buddy. Take care, mate.